So lovely to hear just already how much mindfulness of the mind is starting to uh, have an effect on your daily life practice. And just as a recap, as we've been working through these, uh, the Satipatthana Sutta, which is really the key discourse for all of our insight practice, we have these four establishments of mindfulness. And in that training, as we've been doing over these five weeks so far, we're gradually expanding the field of our awareness to include more challenging, complex, quick uh, aspects of our experience. And last week we started to just train in staying present with our mental activity without getting lost in it, which is a really important skill in insight practice. And yet, as I'm guessing, you all had the experience, it's not easy. And last week I mentioned that many people have a misunderstanding that mindfulness practice is just about being with the breath. But And because of that misunderstanding, if their attention goes anywhere else, particularly if it's noticing any kind of mental activity, then somehow that's not real meditation. And so if that's the basic misunderstanding, and it's common even with people who are experienced meditators, then often we end up with an unconscious struggle with our thinking. And that's partly why I brought in the question last week, what's the attitude in the mind about it? Because then we get to see if there is some resistance or not wanting, or the opposite, fascination and falling into it. And one of the reasons I like to highlight the mind, and I often frame it as a process of befriending the mind, because so many people come to meditation with this subtle or not so subtle sense that thinking is not supposed to be happening. And often people are already at war with their own mental activity, sometimes not realizing, but sometimes very obvious when we start to pay attention to the mind and we see how often we're struggling with different kinds of repetitive or afflictive thoughts and emotions. And so that can be the default setting so much that when people hear all this Buddhist talk about ease and happiness and peace and freedom, it can feel like a cruel joke. That's not my mind. So just by way of reassurance, particularly when we start looking at mindfulness of the mind, start paying attention, it can be quite discouraging. And for myself, I really thought I was going backwards in my practice because until I started paying attention to the mind, I thought, oh, yeah, I can sit there. Yeah, I'm I'm present. And then when I looked at the mind, it was like, OMG, (laughs) this is a madhouse. This is what something's going wrong here, you know. I'm supposed to be mindful and my mind's just all over the place. It was discouraging. It was confronting. And what was more disturbing was that quite a lot of what I started to become aware of not only wasn't very helpful, some of it was actually harmful to me, sometimes to others. So if you happen to be at this stage in your practice, or perhaps you're revisiting that stage, just the encouragement to be patient and to recognize just how normal that is. 
even though it's discouraging, please, you know, take heart. This clear seeing is crucial because unless we see something, we can't do anything about it. And the whole point of this practice is to train in seeing the unskillful aspects of the heart-mind and strengthen, cultivate the skillful. So many of you have heard me quote the opening lines of the Dhammapada in relation to this because they just so clearly convey the sense that we have a choice. We can shape our life experience, either for good or for ill. So here's the translation by Gil Fransdell. It says, All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows, as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. So I think most of us can understand the truth of this, at least in theory, that our thoughts, emotions, moods, mind states have a powerful impact on how we experience our lives. But again, mindfulness of the mind is much easier said than done because, one, our mental activity happens so fast. We don't, often, we don't realize what's even gone on until we find ourselves in the middle of a painful conflict or perhaps some kind of intense interpersonal drama or maybe a 24-hour binge of Netflix on the weekend. And it's like, whoa, what just happened? So in the beginning, mindfulness of the mind sometimes involves what many of you heard me jokingly refer to as post-mortem mindfulness. And this is a practice of looking back after the fact, after there's been some kind of uh, challenging incident. And going back and trying to see identify the specific thoughts and the emotions that triggered whatever that response was. So that hopefully, next time, if there's starting to be a similar reaction, we can catch it a bit earlier. And then the next time, we can catch it a bit earlier again, and a bit earlier again, until eventually, with training, that same trigger doesn't have any impact at all. Or, perhaps even can give rise to skillful mind states, kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity, and so on. So the speed of our thinking is one challenge to this process of befriending the mind. And the second challenge, is, as we were pointing to earlier, unless we have some mindfulness training, most people tend to automatically take their thoughts and emotions personally to believe them to be true, to be real, and who I am. And even in our inner language, we often inadvertently reinforce that. So we tell ourselves, we tell others, I'm so angry, I'm so depressed, I'm so bored, I'm such a failure, and so on. In mindfulness training, 
what we're aiming for is more a sense of curiosity that can recognize, oh, anger is arising. Anger is like this. Hmm, tightness in the jaw. Buzzing in the mind. Painful, vengeful thoughts. Moment of self-compassion is like this. Slight sense of release is like this. So you hear the difference between saying, I am so angry, and just being able to name the physical, the emotional, and the mental patterns that are constellating as anger without referring it back to an I at the center of it all. And this is a quality of bare awareness that we've been talking about quite a bit. So without mindfulness training, though, we tend to have a a sort of a double-edged attitude to what happens in our minds. We either ignore what's going on in the mind until we get into some kind of trouble, or we believe our thoughts completely and have them define who we are. And even with that intellectual understanding, I'm guessing all of you have had the experience of, you know, just going about your business, feeling pretty okay, and then some thought comes in, boom, speed of lightning, and our whole day shifts on its axis, and we suddenly find ourselves in a completely different frame of mind. Anybody had that experience? (laughs) Maybe even today, maybe even tonight. And it's amazing. Sometimes it can take hours to get out of whatever that was. Sometimes days or even months. And why? If we really look at what happened, it was just some firings of neurons in the brain. And yet, if we don't see it clearly or know it for what it is, it has an incredibly powerful effect. So these tiny pulses of electrical activity in the brain only have exactly as much weight as we give them. The more seriously we take them, the more personally we take them, to that extent, we suffer. The opposite is also true. The more we can just know these as thoughts, as just thoughts, emotions coming and going the more freedom we have to choose which ones to respond to and which ones to simply let go of. So, you with me so far? Thoughts, at the moment, so I've just been talking about thoughts that are just thoughts, more just intellectual activity. It's hard enough to stay present with those When we come to emotions, it can be even more challenging. And particularly, I think, and again, perhaps I need to fess up first, some of us are drawn to this practice in the beginning as a way of getting rid of or getting away from all of those nasty emotions that we don't want to have to deal with. If I just sit down and meditate hard enough, long enough, deeply enough, at some point... I'll hit something called Nibbana and I won't have to deal with all of that messy stuff anymore. Anybody there? (laughs) Wishful thinking. And it's not actually the point of practice. 
so it can be a bit demoralizing when people realize, oh, this is not about quietly getting rid of my emotions, but mm, befriending them, getting to know them, becoming familiar with them, not so we feed them and wallow in them and take them more personally, but so we can just see them for what they are. And like every other aspect I've experienced, meet them with kind curiosity. Now, there's, in some ways this is even more challenging because as I think we all have experienced, we live in a society that values the intellect above everything, definitely above the body, pretty much more than our emotions. So most of us are not trained, at least people of our can I say our age? I think in schools now, some schools like four and five and six-year-olds are being trained, right, to learn about their emotions. But was that true in your, your guys' school? You're a little younger. <laughs> not, not meaning to put you on the spot, but just in case. Did you have any training in emotional literacy in school? Anybody else here from maybe different countries or different systems? Absolutely nothing in my school. Really? Your niece yeah. said she was allowed to have her feelings? How old is she? Um, she's 13. 13, okay. Yeah, so this is a different era, right? But most of us have not been trained to pay a lot of attention to our emotions. And so again, that's why I talk about... Um, post-mortem mindfulness because often we do need to sort of work things out after the fact what actually went on and sometimes what we think went on with our intellects is actually quite different from what our emotional life was actually doing so with this technique post-mortem mindfulness what how I like to do it is by exploring the body as much as the mind so, for example, if I've had some uh, unexpected or strong reaction that's out of proportion to the trigger or just something kind of took me by surprise, I might take a period of time, and this sort of comes back to your question, Aidy, at what point do you decide to investigate a bit more? So one might be when there's been something unexpected, I'll take a period of time in meditation just to, usually I do it lying down with my knees bent so that I'm comfortable. And then I have a hand on my belly and a hand on my heart. And I'll just bring to mind whatever that situation was. Just using my imagination to recreate it almost blow by blow or like film, you know, movie, frame by frame. And so I'm slowing the whole thing down and I'm just feeling into what was going on there. And often, you know, my intellect goes, yeah, but then they said that. Let that go. Come back to the body, the heart, the belly. Oh, there's a sudden feeling of groundlessness or a wave of heat and rage or a sudden feeling of being five years old or an image of my elder brother or whatever it might be, you know, we start to access information on a different and less intellectual level. 
And we're staying out of the intellect as much as possible because the intellect loves to rationalize and tell stories and justify itself and you know, strengthen those neuronal pathways of self-righteousness and victimhood and whatever the stories might be. So we're trying to stay out of that and come into the raw feelings in the body. And that can often reveal quite new information. Hopefully, so that next time, if that scenario starts to play out again and we recognize those flickers of similar feelings, we can go, okay, I know this one. Let me take a different route, a different relationship to it. So just very quickly, a couple of cautions with that process. The first thing we want to keep in mind when we're working, particularly with more challenging, difficult emotions, is that we're always trying to stay in balance with them, the balance of the middle way. So it's the balance between not just reflexively avoiding, ignoring, denying, repressing, make it go away, but also not falling into, collapsing into, getting overwhelmed or feeding whatever that thing was and so again this is a skill of the practice to learn when do we go into it for how long for how much and when might it actually be skillful to move away from it there's a lot more we could say about all this but i'm just going to say a little bit more about working with emotions in meditation so we can then have some time for tea and then do a guided practice after that So when we do the guided meditation after the break, we're going to be building on the sequence of practices we did over the last few weeks. So we'll start with the body and the breath. We'll start looking, working with thoughts, just like we did last week. Simply knowing when a thought's there, arises, stays for a while, passes away. Not taking them personally, And then just starting to notice if there are any thoughts that have an emotional component to them. And one way we can frame this is is seeing these, if there are any thoughts that have emotions attached, to think of them as being like weather systems that are just passing through the sky of the mind. So just like we don't take the weather personally, at least not most of the time, we don't think it's our fault if it's raining or we try to make the sunshine last forever. Mostly, it's just obvious that weather happens due to conditions. These conditions are constantly changing. Sometimes it's warm, foggy, cold, sunny, windy, so on. So when it comes to working with emotions, we're just knowing the emotions for what they are. And again, with this training in emotional literacy, it can be helpful to use the mental noting technique. Now, we've been doing this a little bit already with when we're just noticing the breath and we might know or note in and out or rising and falling. When it comes to emotions, sometimes it's very helpful to be able to actually find the label that fits that emotion don't know about for you but for me sometimes i'm sitting there and it's just like oh oh what is that feeling and sometimes it's almost like auditioning 
words to see. So I might start off. It's a bit like throwing darts at a dartboard. So in the beginning, I just kind of throw a few and they kind of go clunk, clunk. But when I get the right one, it's like, oh, okay. So maybe there's just this painful, slightly cold feeling. And I might just say, okay, something <laughs> painful, bit sad, not quite. Uh, loneliness. Oh, loneliness. Doing. And then I have that new information and it makes sense and I know how to respond to it. So again, this is a training in emotional literacy. And the other advantage of it is that, according to neuroscience research, the part of the brain that makes the label is different from the part of the brain or the mind that is experiencing the emotion. So each time we're able to find a label for it and name it, we've just for a nanosecond perforated that cloud of identification with the experience. So the more we can just kind of drop in those labels, it can start to disperse the solidity of that storm cloud of the emotion. So that's what we'll be experimenting with after the break. And similar with thinking, as I mentioned last week, sometimes when people are invited to pay attention to thoughts, the thoughts just disappear or they all pile on. Same thing can happen with emotions. When we're invited to actually turn towards them, there's nothing there. That's okay. It can actually be very useful training to pay attention to the mind when there's more calm, quiet, stillness and so on and find a more refined noting or language to be able to name that experience. Okay, so that's probably plenty for you to take in now. Let's take some time for a very well-earned cup of tea. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.